It's Celtics coverage on CLNSRadio.com. Right now and share your thoughts toll free three four seven two one five seven 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 one. All right, that is correct. Here we are. Welcome on in, everybody, to the Celtics post game show on CLNS Media. My name is Matt Rury, and it's uh, it's a it's a good night for a show because we get to talk about a win. The Celtics head down to Oklahoma City and they squeak one away, 112 to 111. Uh, the final seconds of this game made it a, a lot closer than it, it actually was. And we can get into the reasons why Chris Paul did hit a three to cut this to one at the buzzer. So uh, the Celtics did have a little bit of a roller coaster in this one. Uh, and we will get into that over the next hour or so. And I want to remind you all, of course, that the show is brought to you by betonline.ag and if you were a football fan watching the NFL the footballs might be packed away but I mean of course unless you're watching the XFL now basketball hockey and golf are all still around and you know what you can even bet on the Academy Awards that's going on right now tonight in a couple hours you can go over to betonline.ag and bet on those awards right there you can find all the odds uh, with our exclusive, exclusive sportsbook partner, Bet Online, they've been in the industry for over 20 years, providing customers with the first-to-market odds and giving you the ability to bet anytime, anywhere, which is great. So, I, I mean, in Massachusetts right now, it's still not legal, but you can head on up to New Hampshire. Maybe you have a friend up there and go bet up there. But either way, wherever you are in the world, head on over to BetOnline.ag, and if you use our promo code, you're going to get 50% off your welcome bonus on your first deposit. And you can make some bets and have a little fun. I mean, you missed out on the Celtics game tonight, but you can uh, place bets on anything else going forward. The promo promo code is CLNS50. That's CLNS50. And again, you'll receive 50% on your welcome bonus of your first deposit. And that's from betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. All right. Tonight. I'm joined by a couple of gentlemen that I've never worked with before myself, so I'm excited for the show. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a good one. The Celtics did win this game 112 to 111. I just realized I didn't give you the score. I just told you that they won. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm interested to see what these guys have to say about this game tonight and also going forward. Uh, my co-host, Adam Taylor, welcome on in. And we have Jack Simone here as a, as a third man as well. Uh, Adam, did anything really stand out to you in this game? Because as far as what I could see, the Celtics had a really hot start and they uh, sort of tailed off a little bit. There wasn't a lot of defense played in this game uh, on either side, but the score didn't really reflect that because it wasn't a really high scoring game either. So it was kind of a, a weird game to watch. Uh, that's just kind of what I took away from it. What do you think? Yeah, so both teams started out really hot. It was a three-point contest to begin the game. I felt like the Celtics were the first team to call off between the two, slightly. Uh, OKC made a little run, and then it became a game of cat and mouse for the majority of the first half. I'd say Oklahoma was... um, I was really impressed with SGA. I thought he would play fantastic. And I really enjoyed the way that... um, Daniel Tice was performing his kind of pivot role where he was the fulcrum of all the Celtics' offensive moves. And the way he was rolling to the rim and sealing guys off was allowing Jason Tatum to get to work on his drives. Kemba Walker 
was having trouble early for shooting, but he was getting to the foul line, so that was a great sign to see. It was a tough game. I was really impressed with the ability of like Delino Gallinari to attack the matchups that he was getting on the offensive end as well. All right, Jack, what do you think, man? Did we did did Adam miss anything there? Uh, because I mean, this this was the first game that the Celtics have had in a long time where their starting five, Tatum, Brown, Tice, Hayward, and Walker were were healthy. Uh, and, of course, Marcus Smart off the bench. So this game was pretty much what you're going to see from the Celtics if they're healthy going forward. Maybe throw Robert Williams in there if he comes back anytime soon. Uh, but, I mean, Adam just hit on a, a bunch of positives for the Celtics, and I think part of that is because they were all back and together again uh, for the first time in a while. Yeah, I was loving it. Adam hit all the points I think I was looking to. Tice had a really, really good game. It looked like he was getting a little bit – out-rebounded by Adams at the start there, uh, even though Adams ended up 0 for 4 or something like that in the first shots he took, and that's because Tice always kept getting back up with them, playing good defense, solid defense from an undersized center. Uh, one thing I did notice that I thought was a little weird, I don't know if it was just me, but Kemba Walker's shot, at least in the first half, looked a little off to me. It just looked like he was putting a little too much arc on the ball, and then once he calmed down and the Celtics kind of matched the pace of the Thunder, I think he got back in the rhythm of things. And um, other than that, I just think the Thunder really impressed me today with Chris Paul, and I think we caught up and got the one at the end. Yeah, it's funny you say you said something about Kemba Walker's arc on his shot because um, I sort of noticed that too, but I think I kind of uh, attribute that to just the fact that Oklahoma City is so long. All these guys are large guys, and if Walker's coming around to pick and he sees Stephen Adams, he sees Nerlens Noel, he's looking at uh, Shade. Gilgis Alexander, who Adam mentioned as well. Uh, these guys are all long players. Chris Paul, obviously not a tall guy, but he's crafty on defense when he's straight up against Walker as well. Um, but even Danilo Gallinari is a, is a long guy that if he gets his arms in your face, you got to get that ball up over them. So I think you're right. I think he was sort of testing the waters and seeing if he had to get it up uh, that high. And he did settle down and ended up scoring, I believe, 10 or 12 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, to bring him to his his total of 27, I think it's like 10 in the, in the fourth, I believe. Um, and he just he really was the anchor for the Celtics down the stretch, even though he missed a couple free throws. It's all right, we'll give him a pass for that. But I just think overall the the guy the, the team looked like they were ready to go. They looked like they were a, a unit that we haven't seen in a while, and that if that, that they could take on anybody in the East at this point because. Oklahoma City is no slouch. Uh, they are having a better season than a lot of people expected them to have. They're in the playoff hunt right now. And uh, I think, um, Jack, you mentioned it, Chris Paul really drives this team. And uh, where he goes is, is where this team's going to go. And, I mean, they have a lot of nice pieces. Obviously, they're not going to win an NBA championship anytime soon. But the fact that they're in the playoff hunt, I think, surprises a lot of people. Uh, so, I don't know. I, Adam, this team is no slouch that the Celtics just played against. And for weeks, maybe months now, terrestrial radio around here in Boston uh, has been calling on the Celtics to get a signature win and get a a solid road win and and finally be able to knock off a team that people respect. And while this isn't – you're not beating the Lakers or Houston on the road, who they'll see in in a couple days, I think Oklahoma City on the road is a solid win because it's a tough place to play. And they are a pretty good team right now. Yeah, so fun fact, with this loss, that puts the 
the Thunder at the same amount of the same win loss totals as the Sixers. So if you're respecting the Philadelphia 76ers at this point, which you shouldn't be because they're having a bad year, <laughs> then you need to you need to respect the Thunder because their records are exactly the same. I do I don't agree with Boston Radio in terms of they need that marquee win simply because they're becoming very consistent with the way they're playing the game, the way they're attacking teams. They've kind of found their rhythm, which was what we expected to see as Brad started to shorten those rotations. If they can beat Houston, then great. If they don't, then it's not something I'm personally going to read too much into at this juncture, especially with players starting to wind down and get ready for the all-star festivities. But they definitely do need to start showing that they can hang with teams of that caliber for sure. I personally don't don't feel worried. This game was a testament to their grit. Uh, Marcus Smart come up clutch at the end with that steal as well. I don't think we should miss that. That was a, a great play. I'm not. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I think the narrative in the media has been quite negative on the Celtics, considering oh, sure. how consistent they've been lately. I I think you're absolutely right about that. I think they have some better road wins than people were giving them credit. I mean, they beat Dallas in the middle of December. Believe me, I, there's going to be only one or two games that I mention here, but still, how many times have they had an, a real chance to win a, a, a game on the road against a solid team? So anyway, Dallas in the middle of December is a solid road win. Uh, they beat uh, Toronto on Christmas Day. I mean, the way Toronto's playing right now, in hindsight, that looks like a great road win, right? And then you get into January, and they beat Miami on the road just a, a, a week or 10 days ago. And finally, now we, we've got Oklahoma City, and you start to see some of these Western Conference teams coming up. So I'm looking forward to Tuesday, see if the Celtics can knock off Houston, and they come home uh, for one more game before the All-Star break, uh, basically, against the Clippers. So a couple of good tests for the Celtics coming up here uh, in the – in the next couple of uh, days and over the next week. Um, and we can get into that towards the end of the show, but I kind of want to break down um, the, uh, uh, just sort of the, a lot of people look at the box score and they, and they wonder how things sort of came to fruition and people talk about plus minus, And I think that's a load of crap. So we're not going to get into that, but I just want to point out the fact that all five Celtics starters scored 13 points or more led by Kemba Walker, who earlier I mentioned 27 points. Jason Tatum was great tonight. I think that he, uh, when Kemba was not playing that well throughout the first couple of quarters, maybe even two and a half quarters of this game, Jason Tatum was the one that was steady. He was poised. He looked like he was going to score regardless of who was guarding him. Uh, He was in control at all times. And aside from a couple of cheap fouls that the refs kind of screwed multiple Celtics on tonight, they overcame that, and I think Tatum was uh, w- one of the most steady players throughout this entire game. So I want to give Tatum a little credit for that. And, again, mention that this starting five, first time in a while that they've been together, uh, they all played over 30 minutes. They looked cohesive. And I think if, if this is the way that they're going to play going forward and they can get some solid play off the bench from Marcus Smart, Enos Cantor, and maybe Robert Williams, uh, I would put them – I would pick them in a series against just about anybody in the East, even Milwaukee. That would be a tough one, but uh, I, I, I would head on over to betonline.ag guys. And I would say, what are the odds here? I'm, I'm going with the Celtics just to maybe make some money. How about that? Uh, no, but seriously, I'm, I'm not just writing off the box or anything like that. I think the Celtics are rounding into a team that are going to be formidable 
They're going to be a really tough out. We haven't even mentioned Marcus Smart, who made the he stripped the ball and got a steal in the final seconds that iced the game. And it's those types of plays that I think the Celtics can uh, thrive with. And really, if they have those types of plays consistently, they're going to win a lot of games and series. So yeah, Marcus Smart for me is going to be the X factor in a lot of the close contests, just because of the way he can put pressure on the ball handler and force mistakes like he did in that last play. With Jason Tatum, I don't know if you agree, but at the moment, I consider him to be the Celtics' primary option on offense at this point. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, it depends on the game, but if you have to draw up a play at the end of a game or in a crunch time situation, I think that he's the first option. I think you're right about that. Um, you may see that shift to Kemba Walker at some point, but... I feel like if Tatum has already taken that position, it's not going back to anybody else. Hayward is a good second or third option. Jalen Brown, a great second or third option. Kemba Walker, of course. But yeah, I think you're right. Tatum seems to be the guy that can get his shot whenever he wants it. Um, Come playoff time, when there's more three-pointers and there's more point guard play, you might sort of see Kemba Walker take that role. Uh, But for the rest of the regular season, I would would guess it's, it's Jason Tatum. And that's just that's just showing what the Celtics actually have here. If people don't appreciate this right now, if, if people don't appreciate this right now, you should start appreciating it. They have four legitimate 20 point scorers per game in the NBA right now. Tatum Brown, Hayward Walker, all those guys can score 20 points on any given night. So now as they learn to play with each other and, and determine in a single game, who's hot, who's not, who has the good matchup, that's going to make them even more difficult. And that's, the versatility that Danny Ainge has been looking for really for the past 10 years, let's be honest. So those four guys have earned a nickname from me that I've been pushing across multiple podcasts that I've been on over the last week or so, and that's the four horsemen, simply because all four of them are so reliable and so, and they're at each and each individual one of them are able to kill you at any moment in the game. So I like that. I like that nickname. I feel like those four tonight really showed out. Marcus Smart is always a great fifth. I think that uh, if I can jump go in ahead, here, Jack, yeah, get in here. I think that I would agree with that statement wholeheartedly, especially because it seems like all of them are kind of like carving out their own individual roles. And especially with Tatum lately, with all the injuries, he's kind of emerged as Adam was saying, as the primary scorer. And I was looking at their stats this season. He's officially overtaken Kemba as the leading points per game scorer on the Celtics this season by granted by 0.1, but still it's, it's the leader. And so I think if you have all four of those guys in at the game, they all can do their own individual things that mesh together so well. Like Hayward's an amazing playmaker for his uh, position. Kemba's a good bucket off the screen. Brown's a good, like, big body in the middle, like, that can hit those mid-range shots. And Tatum's just a bucket. Like, you can feed him the ball, and he can get a bucket no matter what. And then you insert Tyser Cantor there, and you have a five-man lineup that can compete with anybody else in the NBA. Yeah, I think this team has a shot. And that's why a lot of people were questioning why Danny Ainge didn't make a move. Uh, at, at the trade deadline just a couple of days ago. And um, the, the quote has been going around a little bit from Red Auerbach, who is a, a man as a Celtics fan that I learned to respect early on. Uh, Danny Ainge learned to respect him early on as well. And Red said that sometimes your best move is to not make a move at all. So the Celtics really believe in the chemistry of this team. They believe in the talent of their young tandem in da- uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. 
they believe in their role players like Marcus Smart, Enos Cantor, Daniel Tice. And, of course, uh, they believe in their head coach getting guys like Kemba Walker and Gordon Hayward uh, shots that they can knock down. And I think you saw that a lot tonight. Uh, Brian Stevens calling a lot of plays, Gordon Hayward handling the ball, finding open shots. This team is starting to round into a team that I think is going to be really formidable. So I think uh, people should start thinking, they should start looking at the Celtics and being serious about it. Um, just a month ago, I, 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 I put a bet on the Celtics plus 700 to win the Eastern Conference Finals. Right now on betonline.ag per Bobby Manning, you can go get them for plus 800. And to win the NBA championship, which is going to be really tough, against that, whoever that comes out of that Western Conference, uh, they're plus 2,000. So for those of you that don't know, if you put 100 bucks on the Celtics to win the NBA Finals right now on betonline.ag, you'll get $2,000 in return if they do win. So go check that out. Uh, but I, the point of me even mentioning that stuff is that I, I feel like they're kind of rounding into form, like I keep saying, but they're also playing a little bit of an underdog role. And I think a guy like Marcus Smart, a guy like Jalen Brown, if you're in that role, playing alongside those guys, you're going to make yourself even better. You're going to elevate your game. So everybody around, everybody on this team, I think, is going to sort of step things up. And this is exactly the type of team and the product that people are looking for and that we've seen in the past with Brad Stevens. They're overachieving from what, people perceived their talent was at the beginning of the season. And I just, I, I think that finally, especially after that, after that abhorrent lazy year uh, last year, led by the former point guard, not all-star, not an all-star this year, by the way, uh, I, the, the team is just, they, they've rejuvenated the fan base with the way that they've been playing. So um, I just, I have high hopes for the Celtics at this point and it, Everything, even unless they fall flat on their face in the first round, Adam, I'm going to be happy with the outcome. I feel. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm hoping to see a bit of a deep run, especially with the, the team that they've got. It all depends on who who you face, right? It's all matchup related. If you if you get Philly in the first round, which isn't looking unlikely with the way they're playing at the moment, it's a possibility. It's uh, and then you lose that then that's going to be a really bitter pill to swallow. It's going to be a tough one to swallow. If you meet a team like Miami in the second or, or the semis, then and they manage to sneak past you, especially after the roster moves they made during the trade deadline, that's one you can understand a little bit more. But a team like this, really, I don't want to see them losing unless it's against the Bucks. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put a – I definitely wouldn't – put my money on it that's for sure um jack did, did the uh do the bucks scare you right now i i don't i don't even think i wouldn't say the bucks scare me i would say Giannis scares me and that the rest of the pieces on that team are very good chris middleton solid player uh but i just i feel like the, the celtics are a team that when they're clicking they can definitely beat anyone in the east and, and put up a fight against the west I'd agree there with that statement. I think if you're not terrified of Giannis, then you don't watch NBA basketball. That man is unlike anything I've personally ever seen before on the basketball floor. And I think that 
the key to beating Milwaukee obviously is guarding him and the way the Celtics guard him I think is unlike any other team that I've seen because I was watching the Sixers Bucks game a little bit the other day and they just stuck Ben Simmons on him and said do your best try to slow him down but the way the Celtics can trap him like they'll bring Marcus Smart over when Brown or Semi Ojale is guarding him and they trap him a little bit force him to kick it out and those are the shots we need to get from the Bucks. Like, I know Chris Middleton is an amazing, very efficient shooter, and that's the reason we lost to them and got demolished by them in the first half of the last game because Giannis was able to kick it out, and the Bucks shot insanely well from three. I think they shot, like, 90% in the first half. That's not going to happen every game. Like, that was just a very, very good shooting performance from them. So I think if we can defend Giannis the way we have been and make him pass the ball out and get those shots, then we have a real chance better than anybody in the East, I would say. Yeah, Giannis is the key. I mean, he's the one that you got to stop. And mm-hmm. I, I hate to use this cliche, uh, but to me, Giannis is, an, is a regular season player. He's a, he's a regular season player, and he's a superstar MVP type of regular season player. Uh, I'm not going to discredit him there. But the fact of the matter is, when you get into a grind it out, drive the lane, make some free throws, kick it out for three, play some defense type of game. I think he's beatable and his team is beatable. And I think the Celtics last year should have beaten them. And it just, it's just the mentality of the team that was driven by uh, the former point guard who shall not be named that really set the Celtics ablaze and ruined their chances. They, they smoked the bucks in the first game. They should have had that series in their back pocket last year. And this year, I, I feel like they play, they're playing like more of a team. They look more cohesive. They look like they have a killer instinct for once. And I just, I feel like they can get some redemption on that abysmal performance, which was very disappointing last year. If they meet the bucks in the NBA or in the Eastern conference finals this year, I feel like they can do it. And I, I usually, I, I'm not. I, I try not to be a homer, but sometimes it comes out, and people say I'm wearing green goggles and all this stuff. But I really feel like uh, chemistry is is a thing here. And Adam, you mentioned Philadelphia. Al Horford is chirping in the media. I think he misses it here in Boston. He realizes once he once he found out that. Uh, it, his old teammate was not coming back and that they were going to get Kemba Walker. He, he probably had some regrets about going to Philly. And I think it's showing through right now. I, Philadelphia. I don't even, I don't believe in them. Toronto. I believe in because they have a winning pedigree. They won a championship. All those guys did. Sure. They don't have Kawhi Leonard, but they have guys that have been there before and they just won. So Milwaukee. Yes. Tough opponent. Toronto would probably be tough in a seven game series, which is why I think the Celtics need home court advantage against them. But ultimately, if these guys are playing the way that you saw at times tonight and as a whole with this lineup, I'd put them up against anyone. Do you know what makes me worry less about most of these teams in the East is their big man situation. The Celtics over the last, I'd say, month, two, maybe six weeks, seven weeks, have really been utilizing drawing big men out into the perimeter to guard to guard uh, Daniel Tice. That's why they're using him as like that pivot spot. And then literally putting guys in blenders that they're, they're really tormenting opposing teams bigs, especially the um the 
slower guys. Like Steven Adams managed to do quite a good job today because he's very mobile. But if you put this team up against a Mark Gasol and draw Gasol out of the paint, then they're going to get smoked down low. They're going to lose most of their interior defense just because of the way the Celtics are putting guys around the floor. So I'm not too worried. And Brooke Lopez is going to be susceptible to that too. And as great as Giannis is and as otherworldly as his talents are, if you're smoking them on the offensive end every time and then you're closing out and you're just and you're containing Giannis, there's, you ca- they can't win. It, it's that simple. The, the game plan they're utilizing at the moment with multiple playmakers r- playing off each other and making things happen in transition and just that seamless basketball they're playing is going to be really tough for teams to adapt to, um, even over a seven-game series. All right, Jack, am I losing my mind? Get in here. Am I, am I really, sorry, am I sorry, really sorry. overrating the Celtics, underrating the Bucks? What am I doing here? Am I, am I uh, going to get attacked by Bucks Twitter here in a second or what? I think you will. I was about to jump in there. I was very deep in thought about what I wanted to say because I think the Celtics' wings, I, I, I was debating making the statement. I was kind of looking over the league. I think the Celtics have the best wings in the NBA. I was looking at the other teams. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't say this. Maybe I, there's a team I'm missing, but no. I genuinely think the Celtics have the best core of wings in the NBA. The only other team I could think of would be the Clippers because PG and Kawhi are insane. But I think when you add Gordon Hayward to that mix for us, then um, I think like that three-headed monster is a little bit better, like a step up than just those two. But I think if we can get into the paint with those guys, have Tatum Brown drive or even like stop on a dime and shoot those jumpers that Jalen Brown loves to shoot, I think we can really kill what, like Adam said, those slow opposing bigs. And for me, one of the key things – in playoff matchups is going to be Tice. I think if Tice can play the defense that he played today against Steven Adams, which was, if you watch the game, amazing, amazing defense, I think, and just an amazing overall game, I think we'll have a much better shot if we can have Tice play at the level of basketball that he played against the Slater today. And Tice has, has been out of this world. He had a foot injury, which I thought was going to set him back. I've said this before on the post-game show. I thought it was going to be a plantar fasciitis, Kendrick Perkins type of thing. And it, it wasn't. He overcame it very quickly. He's been playing out of his mind this year. Um, and he's listed at six foot eight, which I believe because uh, I just – him look, standing around other guys, you can tell that he's, he's a little bit shorter than everyone. But, man, is he playing like a strong seven-footer. He's playing four inches above his, his own height. It's crazy. So, yeah, I mean, Daniel Tice is, is someone that you gotta, you got to watch because while Enos Cantor is going to come in and possibly get you a double-double night in, night out, a lot of offensive rebounds, he does get burned a lot on the defensive end. So you need to have someone you can rely on, which is why I think after the trade deadline and no move was made, we'll see if something happens in the buyout market, but you heard all the talking heads. You heard Scalabrini. You heard uh, other Celtics guys, Mike Gorman, they're talking up Robert Williams. They want Robert Williams to step in and, and be that guy. And honestly, Jack, I think you're right because Tice is the guy that they should be focused on, not Robert Williams. Uh, I like Robert Williams. I think he's a, a good player and he's going to give them good minutes if he's healthy, but he's not a difference maker uh, like it, Tice frankly has been. And I'm not saying that Tice is going to be a difference maker in the playoffs, I, I, I can't sit here and say Giannis is a regular season player and then Tice is going to make a difference because that's just outrageous. But the, the way that he's been playing, uh, it's been above what anyone would have expected of him. So 
I, I have to wonder if that's going to run out at some point. And with Giannis, I don't think his talent is going to run out. I just think that he is guardable in a playoff situation where uh, he may only have one or two guys that can shoot the ball around him. And on the other side, you've got five guys that can shoot at any time. So that's, that's my analysis of the, of the Bucks and Giannis, etc. Maybe I'm losing my mind. Maybe I'm going overboard here. If you want to tell me that that's what's happening, you can find me on Twitter at Team Green Truth. But you can also call right now, 347-215-7771. Join the conversation with me, Adam Taylor, Jack Simone. We're talking Celtics. We don't have any calls right now, but maybe that's because I didn't even give the number out. That's my mistake. Uh, We are going to take one quick second to let you hear about another of our sponsors, and we will be right back on the CLNS Media Celtics postgame show right now. Tonight's episode of the Celtics postgame show on CLNS Media is brought to you by HelloFresh. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. Get easy seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door. All you have to do is cook and enjoy. For $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com forward slash CLNS80. And don't forget to enter the promo code CLNS80 at checkout. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit and a sponsor of the CLNS Media Celtics postgame show. All right. So thank you to HelloFresh and, of course, BetOnline.ag. We are back here on the Celtics uh, CLNS Media Post Game Show, CLNS Media Celtics Post Game Show. Uh, my name is Matt Rury. I'm here with Adam Taylor and Jack Simone. And to anyone that may have qualms about me saying the Celtics are my pick to beat the Bucks and go to the NBA Finals, I say this. Anything's possible! Uh-huh. Right. You all remember Kevin Garnett screaming that after winning the NBA championship 12 years ago. So um, have a have an open mind, will you? Jeez. Seriously, guys, bring me back to earth. Tell me, I want you each to give me a reason, and not Giannis is not the reason. Give me a reason other than Giannis that the Celtics would lose to the Bucks, and unless you legitimately think that Giannis is the only reason. No, I legitimately think Giannis is the only reason. All right, fair enough. Jack, you got one? Um, I just think their their shooting is just extremely, extremely efficient. And I think that 90%, as much as they can't shoot 90% every night, obviously, I think their their shooting is just very, very, very solid. Like, not necessarily amazing shooters, just very consistent shooters, if that makes sense. That's true. I was they, scared of I mean, them more last year with Rockton. No, go ahead. I was scared of them more last year when they had Malcolm Brogdon. I feel like that was a really big loss to them guys that nobody's really mentioned because they've still been good. But Brogdon's the sort of guy that in a playoff series can really hurt you. Without him, Chris Middleton's nice and all. Don't get me wrong. I think Chris Middleton's a great player. But you can scheme Chris Middleton out of games a lot easier than you could Malcolm Brogdon just because Chris Middleton's a bit more one-dimensional. I don't feel like... Eric Bledsoe is the point guard that's going to lead you to a championship. If Giannis, if Giannis wasn't there, then Bledsoe isn't going to be able to lead you to the to the promised land on his own or with Chris Middleton. So I genuinely, honestly, if, if Giannis doesn't play for a game or two, maybe he, you know, God forbid he sits a game or two. I don't see them winning those games. They need him in order to have any chance of getting to the finals. 
If they have prop bets over there at betonline.ag, I would put a prop bet on Chris Middleton winning a game for the Bucks once per round in the playoffs. I would give him that. I'd say he's good for one game. He's going to win you a game. But I think you're right. If Giannis is the only reason throughout a series that the Celtics would lose, I'm, I'm still going with the Celtics. And, yeah, their shooting is great, but is Eric Bledsoe really going to step up that much when he's guarded by Marcus Smart? Pat Connaughton, great player. He's from my hometown, Arlington, Mass. Go Pat. We root for Pat. Not in the playoffs. And I, I just I don't know if I trust his threes in the playoffs. Middleton's the guy. Brooke Lopez, to me, is just a flash in the pan. I don't understand how this guy has been succeeding in Milwaukee, but he's doing it. Um, and that's even more reason for the Celtics to try and find somebody in the buyout market that's a big man that can give some support to Robert Williams if he comes back. I know that's not as easy as it sounds. It's more complicated than that with salaries and cutting players, etc. But I'm hoping that they go find somebody uh, because the Bucks reportedly are going to add Marvin Williams as well. So that gives them another decent wing veteran player. I don't, I mean, I don't think he puts them over the top. I don't think he would crack the Celtics top eight necessarily. Uh, but he's, he's a solid player and he's been in the league for a while. So he's crafty. Um, so you got to give him credit there, but ultimately I'm telling you guys, I'm, I'm on the Celtics bandwagon. I'm pushing hard for these guys right now because I think that, uh, they have the potential to surprise a lot of people. And I've said this in years past and been totally wrong. Uh, so maybe you take this with a grain of salt, but, uh, I, I still, that's how I feel. So that, that is what it is. Um, let's, uh, look a little bit forward here very quickly, unless you guys have anything else you want to mention about this game tonight. No, I'm happy with this game. I thought we played great. This game was great. Uh, let's move on. Unless Jack's got anything he wants to speak about. I have nothing else. So I'm okay with moving on to. All right. I just want to look, I mean, we mentioned a couple games coming up on the schedule here. Houston at Houston is definitely a tough one. Uh, the Clippers as well. And then they, they get a nice break um, until they continue their sort of Western Conference showdown, if you will, uh, with a bunch of uh, road games, four right off the bat after the All-Star break. So I'm wondering, my question to you about this next stretch here, forget about the All-Star game, forget about Kemba and Jason Tatum participating there. The Celtics have eight games coming up against uh, formidable opponents. Well, I mean, I guess seven if you if you don't count um, this one here that just happened. So let's go with seven because we, we won't go into March yet. But to end the, the month of February, they've got Houston twice. Uh, they've got the Clippers, the Lakers, Portland, and Utah, and, of course, Minnesota. Not in that order, but my question to you guys is not what you think their record is going to be coming out of this, but what would you be happy with with a record on this, this road trip? Include Oklahoma City if you want. Either way, they've got that win. We, we know it's there. But over the next seven games, to me, I, I feel like if, if they are not four and three, I'm going to be questioning everything that I've just said to you for the last half an hour. I mean, I think a lot of that's going to play a part on health as well, whether guys... I mean, we saw Jalen Brown. I know we've just moved on from this game, but we saw him 
sit down for a little while from what looked like a twisted ankle. I know he returned to the to the game, but that obviously puts a bit of a question mark over how's it going to be when he wakes up tomorrow? Is he going to be ready to go in the next game? And it, I'm all for saying four and three is a great number to finish this little road, this little trip on, this little schedule of games. But health is going to play a huge part in that between now and then. So I try not to. I try to take every game as a game by game, simply for that factor as well. But they need to get some wins on the board. The higher they can finish in the standings this year, uh, seeding's really going to play a part due to the parity in the league. So I'm quite, I'm I'm bored with any they need to win the next game sort of narrative just for that reason alone. All right, Jack. What I'm do you a, think? Four wins. I might. Uh, good enough. I might. I'm gonna take it a little bit step further. I think I'm gonna go a little maybe maybe call me crazy, but I think five and two, even like six games, is possible in this stretch for the Celtics. We're playing we're playing great basketball right now. And first of all, I love the matchup against the Rockets because if you look back at like the Bulls game, for example, we just know how to feed the ball to Ennis Cantor when we want to, and they don't have a center. Like PJ Tucker's a solid guy guarding the post, but Ennis Cantor can just shoot it right over him, and the Lakers, when I watched the Lakers-Rockets game, just failed to do that. The only reason they lost that game is because they didn't feed Anthony Davis the basketball. Um, the only two games I think that we might really struggle with are going to be the Clippers and the Lakers, and we saw that we could beat the Lakers, and the Clippers, we lost in overtime, barely, and then the Jazz have been struggling. They only won the other night because the ref blew a call on Damian Lillard's layup, and then the Blazers, I mean, Lillard's on fire right now, but I think with the injuries they have, it's possible to beat them too. So I think five or six games is very possible at the stretch for them. All right. I'd like to hear that because, I mean, I, like I said, four wins is what I, I would put as a benchmark. I think they need to get four wins here. Otherwise, I'd be questioning um, what I've been talking about. Uh, Adam mentioned that the standings are going to be really important. And while uh, a couple weeks ago I was declaring – with green goggles on, I will admit that the Celtics had a shot to catch the Bucks. Had they won that Thursday night game, which they got killed in, well, I mean, the score didn't reflect that, but they, they did not play the way they should have in that game. They were down by 30 a couple times. Um, before that, I thought they had a legitimate shot to catch the Bucks if they should, should uh, catch fire like they have in the past since then, really. They've won seven in a row. Um, but what I did not foresee was the Toronto Raptors continuing to just dominate and they have won 14 games in a row, which is incredible. And it's not just a home thing. And they've been winning games on the road at the same exact clip that they've been winning at home. Uh, So Toronto is impressing me right now. And they're impressing a lot of people around the league, I I think as well. Uh, So I think that home court advantage is going to be important there. Uh, And to that, I would say that that's why, I I like to hear what you're saying there, Jack, about five wins, because if they get five wins on this road trip or even six, I would have to imagine that they would be at least a half a game behind Toronto, if not catch them by the time this thing is over at the end of February, uh, because they are a game and a half back right now. So I think um, Toronto is a team that if you go up to Toronto and the Celtics have proven this time and time again, it's difficult to win up there. Uh, again, they don't have Kawhi Leonard, but they still have a team that has clearly won a championship in the past 365 days. They are all confident. Serge Ibaka, Kyle Lowry, these guys are confident. Even Van Vliet, confident player. Not to mention a guy that some people think are should deserve MVP 
discussion, uh, Pascal Siakam is, is just continuing to blossom as a player. So I don't want to discount Toronto, but I will discount Milwaukee. Is that, I mean, I don't know. Does that make me crazy? No, I mean, I want to discount Milwaukee too, but at the same time, Toronto don't have that superstar that's going to be able to carry them when teams really start closing out on them. However, Toronto have done a great job. The fact that most of, well, pretty much all of their primary contributors have spent time on the treatment table this year, and they've still managed to keep up this level of play without stretches, without Pascal Siakam, Fred Lamvik, Kyle Lowry's had time out. So being able to be that effective, even when missing some of your key core pieces, makes you worry about what it's going to be like when you're playing them up in Toronto. I might have to uh, agree with you here, Matt. I think I'm personally more scared of Toronto than Milwaukee at this point. They're just they're on fire right now. And I have a bone to pick with Indiana and Brooklyn because they blew three games in a row, three very winnable games for them. And the Raptors just managed to pull it out in the fourth quarter. And I think that with all that experience they got from last year's run, they scare me. They have such a deep 15, like, I wouldn't, maybe not 15, but like 12 man deep team that can just run with anybody in this league. And I'd say that scares me a little bit more than Milwaukee. Yeah. I mean, um, I didn't even mention Marcus Gasol, who is a is a guy that needs to have, sort of be managed. He's, I would say, a little bit injury prone in his late career here. Um, but they are, they remind me of actually, I should say, the Celtics remind me of of Toronto uh, last year a little bit, just because they are not necessarily the most talented roster, but they certainly uh, play cohesively they play as a unit they play as a team and that's that's what basketball is all about people for people even ever since michael jordan came around people sort of forget that basketball is a it's a team game it's a it's a five on five it's not one-on-one lebron james sort of re-emphasized the one-on-one thing but even jordan if you guys remember i don't know how old you guys are i know we have listeners that range from 10 years old to 80 years old. So I'm sure some of you out there will, will know what I'm talking about, but Jordan could score at any point. He didn't necessarily want to or need to. And he, that, that I kind of look at Kemba Walker in that manner. And I'm tying these things together, not to say that Kemba is Jordan or anything like that, but Kemba did play under the tutelage as an owner of Michael Jordan for the last eight years, whatever he, however long he was in Charlotte. I think he learned from Jordan a lot and he defers when necessary. And he wants to get everybody involved, even though he knows he may be the best scorer on the team or on the floor that given that given moment. And that's what separates to me, a guy like Jordan from a guy like LeBron James, but who has changed his game over the course of his career. But when he was younger, he was definitely a me first type of guy, Kobe Bryant, rest in peace. Me first type of player. He won. He won a lot of championships that way, and he was excellent. Loved Kobe. Respect him, and have respected him for a long time. After hating him for a very long, for the early part of his career. If I'm sounding like I'm going on a little bit of a random tangent here, I'm going to bring it back and say that ultimately, when it comes down to it, championship basketball is team basketball. 
And if you have a superstar, that makes things so much easier for you, which is why the, the Bucks actually have a chance, obviously, to go to the NBA Finals. The point I'm trying to make is that a team like the Celtics, a team like the Raptors, also have just as good of a chance, even though they don't have that superstar, because they play like a team and they play like a cohesive unit. And sometimes that's, that's all you need. That's, that's what makes you the better team in this sport. So I think people forget that when they look at the superstar and they look at the guy that's the best player. You could have a, a team with less talent and beat that guy because you, you play as a team. So that's my little rant. I, I would have to agree with that one. I think that comparing this year's Celtics to last year's Raptors is very, very truthful. I was going to look up a stat, but I don't know where I can find it or at a, at a moment's notice. But I'd be curious to see with those that Spurs dynasty, right, that won so many championships, was Tim Duncan always the leading scorer in every single series? Because I think a guy like – I'm not saying, like, the Celtics are the Spurs because clearly that's uh, top ten player of all time, Tim Duncan there. But I think just the way that Greg Popovich ran his team, he got the ball to everybody, like Manu off the bench, Tony Parker driving. You got guys like – like Matt Bonner making shots. Like if Matt Bonner was in any other situation than that Spurs organization knows what he would have done in his career. So like team basketball kind of lost its way with maybe the Warriors dynasty, I think, because Katie and Steph just took over and those four core guys just kind of scored the basketball at will and just won so many years in a row with that. And LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and the super team era really took away from the team style of basketball. I think we're seeing more this season when there's more duos and full teams with good benches this year. And I think the Celtics are a great example of that. Uh, so I'll let Adam jump in here in a second, if you, if you'd like to, but to answer your question, I just, I don't know if you believe in wind share. I'm not honestly sure what it is, but basketballreference.com does a calculation of wind share. And I just pulled up the San Antonio Spurs and um, for a very long time, it was David Robinson. Obviously, he was their star. But it looks like beginning in 98-99, when they won that finals with Tim Duncan and David Robinson, uh, Duncan had the highest win share, one, two, three, four, five, six, nine years in a row. And then it was Ginobili. And then Duncan twice, Ginobili again, and then apparently Duncan had retired. or oh, no, He didn't retire, but it sort of shifted to Tony Parker, Kawhi Leonard. Uh, and then uh, went, right before he retired, they sort of focused on Duncan again. So if you believe in win share, which is kind of a new analytic stat, whatever, you're right. I mean, it was mostly Tim Duncan. But towards the end of his, his career, when they did win the finals with Kawhi Leonard, and when they lost in the finals the year before that, and in the Western Conference Finals the year before that, it was Tony Parker. So they did find a way to uh, have that, that centerpiece, Tim Duncan, be uh, a high-performing player, but have someone else sort of take the reins. Adam, you still, still with us, my friend. Yeah, I'm still with you, yeah. Um, it's not something that I've really looked into much in terms of analytics, so I don't want to go on record with any takes without actually doing the the Fair background enough. work, to be quite honest. <laughs> um, 
in terms of having a guy that's going to lead you over the line, it's always going to be a guy like, I mean, you're always there's always going to be a Yanis or a Tim Duncan or somebody that you can heavily lean on. From a Boston perspective, you've got four of those guys, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know if you guys agree. I'd agree with that statement. I think so. Yeah, I mean, that's what that's what makes them so so special. They're so versatile. That's what Danny Ainge has been wanting. He's he's wanted four or five guys that are six seven, six eight, six nine that you can look to 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 get a a bucket in crunch time at any time, when it, whatever the matchup calls for it. And I think that he has stuck with Brad Stevens this long because he's he has seen how Stevens looks at matchups and and really does play around with his starting lineup and his rotations based on who is on the other side of the court. Not necessarily his guys, because his guys are so interchangeable. Some of them ha- have uh, strengths that other ones don't. And if he sees uh, something that he can exploit on the other roster, he's going to do that. And while it, it may be a little bit of a gamble night in, night out, it may not be the uh, the most efficient way to do things. I think over the course of his coaching career, he's proved that he can get players to overachieve and uh, sort of go above their talent level or their perceived talent level, if you will. He's had a lot of guys leave this, this team and wind up getting overpaid over the la- last few years. Uh, Evan Turner is the one that really jumps to mind, but there are countless others that you could think of that probably got more than they would have had they not played for Brad Stevens. So, Maybe you're seeing a little bit of that, but the point is that the top four or five guys do have the talent, and any criticism that Stevens has had in the past couple of years for not being able to handle talented guys in the league I think should be out the window right now, and people need to look and say it wasn't the talented player, it was the talented player's attitude that was a problem because you've got guys on this team that are extremely talented right now, and they're playing together, they're playing for each other, and that not only puts a better product out there for the fan, but it gives them a better chance to, to win games. So I, I don't see how anyone could make that comparison unless you're just trying to uh, get clicks or something like that. Another one of the narratives I'm really against for Stevens at the moment is the fact that he doesn't give you uh, young guys a chance, that if you're a rookie getting drafted by Boston, they're like, oh, well, Brad doesn't give rookies an opportunity. There's a large portion of this team that are either rookies now that are getting minutes or that were rookies that Brad has developed and nurtured. Look at Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. He, I mean, Daniel Tice wasn't a rookie, but he was in the NBA and he's having a breakout year. Grant Williams mm-hmm. looks fantastic. I think Grant Williams is going to be a very big player for this team in the next few years. Romeo Langford starting to show flashes. The problem with Brad Stevens is he he's he's got a poison chalice. He's He's damned if he does, he's damned if he doesn't, right? Whatever he does, there's always a portion of the media that are subtracting away from him, and it's really frustrating. I think he's one of the best coaches in the league. Oh, I think he is too, especially from an overachievement standpoint. I keep saying that. And what I mean by that is, I mean, it's obviously not my evaluation. It's not even NBA scout evaluations. I don't know who's putting out these these projections and stuff like that on ESPN or whatever. Uh, it's the media, really. But people out there who watch the game, like us, uh, have have stated that the Celtics were not going to be that much of a, a, a contender uh, this year or in years past. And 
really beginning with getting to, into the playoffs and getting swept by Cleveland in the first round with Isaiah Thomas. That was the start right there of overachievement. And yeah, it's weird to say that a team getting swept in the first round by LeBron James is overachieved. But you know what? They did. Nobody expected them to be there. And then the following year, they win a first-round playoff series. And they they just – since then, they, they've been overachieving except for last year. Last year was a severe underachievement. But again, all that comes back to perceived talent. That's not perceived cohesiveness. That's not, oh, look, these guys have the right attitude. They're going to go out and they're going to win a bunch of games. When they put out these projections at the beginning of the season, they say, oh, no, Celtics have a top top two talented point guard. Well, they must be the best team in the East. It doesn't matter that the guy's a head case and that he doesn't want to nurture young players and that he doesn't want to uh, listen to his coaching. You've seen it in Brooklyn now as well. But I, I just I feel so I feel like those those projections are are often wrong because of things like this. And it's a it's refreshing to see that they're wrong because the Celtics certainly are playing uh, over their heads. And I, I think a lot of that is attributed to Brad Stevens. But even more so, I want to give Kemba Walker a lot of credit for coming into a situation where he knows that there are young guys that are trying to really become the best player that they can be. And even the best player on their team, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum sort of going head to head on who's, who's the best young star, but also knows his role with a guy like Gordon Hayward trying to facilitate for him. And when Marcus smart is out there getting him, his shots, Kemba Walker has been the perfect point guard for the Boston Celtics this year. I can't think of a, a better player to come in and sort of really not care if he gets his own, knowing that he will, if, if he passes the ball, it's going to come back to him later. So it's a brand of basketball that I'm happy to see. And I mean, as we close the show here, guys, for the next couple of minutes, um, say whatever you want. But uh, as I've said in the past, the Celtics team right now, I'm going to be happy with, with what they do. Unless of course they fall right flat on their face in the first round. I think that, Kemba came in here and proved to the entire world and the entire NBA, at least to uh, the Boston Celtics fans, that it truly does mean more to have a good attitude than be the best player on your team. Because last year with he who shall not be named, it, it was just a mess at all times. Like it was in the media, it was a mess. It was on the court, it was a mess. He was yelling at teammates. And Kemba came in here and everyone kind of knew like, okay, Kemba's the guy. Kemba's the best player on this team. But he didn't address that. Like, he was just like, I'm going to come in here and do what needs to be done to make a playoff because he hasn't had that yet in his career, a true playoff run, and he's going to this year. And I think that I'm a big Philly hater here that a situation that was happening last year in Boston is happening this year in Philly, which is just hilarious to me to see Embiid and Simmons just blow up and have Philly season blow up in their face. Man, it makes me feel so bad for Al Horford. I wish he could have known that it was going to be Kemba Walker because I think that he is doing – or he – Kemba Walker is doing what Al Horford tried to do last year, lead by example, get everybody involved, nurture the young players, and it it didn't work out uh, for reasons we all know about. So, I don't know. Adam, I I feel bad for Al Horford. I wish he was still here in Boston. 
I think that he sort of regrets his situation down in Philly. And uh, if it could have been different, I think the Celtics would certainly be a contender to go to the finals without question. Oh, without question, without question whatsoever. When he first moved, I had a, I done an interview with Anna Horford, and um, her response when I asked what his motivation was for moving was obviously he was chasing a ring in the latter stages of his career. He was prioritizing winning and cementing a championship run, and it's just turned. It's just been the complete opposite of what he moved for because it's turned out now that if he'd stayed, he would have got everything he was trying to achieve. True. I don't think the money was a big factor for him. I, I like to not to think that. A point got put, something got pointed out to me the other day though. On a I was a guest on another podcast, which was Ray Allen won a ring in Boston and then left to chase another championship in Miami and was hated yep. for it. Al mm-hmm. Horford left to go to a direct rival, who like probably the worst rival, without bringing Boston a championship, and everybody's been fine with it. What yeah. do you see the differences? I mean. I, I, so there's a, a few different things that, that make that different to me. First of all, yeah, Ray Allen was a, was a consummate pro- professional, but he was, he was a hired gun and he always was a hired gun his entire career. Not only that, he, he went to Miami, which yeah, is a rival just like Philly, but Philly had never won anything. Philly's not done crap. Nobody, we don't look at Philly and, and are worried about Philadelphia. Miami had LeBron James they had already been a, a championship contender. It looked to me as though Ray Allen sort of left there, or left Boston to, to really to really ring chase. And while Al Horford um, see, apparently was trying to ring chase, he also did take more money than I believe the Celtics were going to, to offer him. So he, he had that going for him as well. Uh, and not only that, I, I think a lot of people sort of look at Al Horford, and like we just said in the past couple of minutes, they feel bad for him because of – uh, his former teammate there. So there are a lot of differences uh, between those things. Um, I also think that uh, now Celtics fans are kind of realistic and they, they see that the NBA landscape has changed. And while when Ray Allen left, uh, they thought that they had a legitimate chance to win another championship here in Boston and Ray Allen diminished that chance. He hurt that chance greatly by leaving. Whereas Al Horford, they didn't really had to have a chance to win the championship last year, even if they had gotten there, like people thought they would have. Uh, so they, him leaving doesn't really set the Celtics back as much as people perceived Ray Allen to have set them back. So those are the factors that I sort of look at and say, that's the difference there. But also Al Horford's attitude is much different than Ray Allen's. Ray Allen was a, uh, was a guy, like I said, a hired gun. He was there to sort of do his work and get his job done. Um, and Al Horford, to me, sort of seems to try and facilitate everybody to get their job done. Whereas Ray Allen was just trying to – it was zeroed in and focused on his, which, I mean, brought him great success. So, anyway, we are over time here. I've gone a little on a little bit of a tangent because – Adam threw that at me, but either way, we can get into that on another post-game show because this one is over. So, gentlemen, I uh, appreciate you joining me tonight. It was a fun show. Celtics win 112 to 111. Brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Uh, I appreciate the, the the banter, the conversation. And I hope to do a show with you again soon, uh, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Matt Rory. I was here with Adam Taylor and Jack Simone, and this has been the Celtics post-game show on Sionis Media. 
Thanks for listening. We will be back with you uh, on Tuesday after the Celtics take on the Houston Rockets down in Houston. That game's at 930. So that means uh, our postgame show will start at midnight, baby. You got it. I don't know who's doing that show, but God bless them. We're out of here. Thanks, guys. Nice talking to you. You too, dude. Thank you. This has been the Celtics postgame show on clnsradio.com. Thanks for listening. The Celtics might not be in action every day, but we are, so stay connected. Follow us on Twitter at CLNS Radio and check out our broadcast schedule for the best weekly sports podcasts on the web.